But I often say this, real estate is reliable, people are not reliable. And it's that conversation piece today around people not being reliable where I want to crack the code. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, we're going to dig into some extraordinary, mind-blowing stuff. Yes, we're going to analyze how irrational human beings are when it comes to real estate. We're going to go through all of the elements when it comes to how people feel about property. Yes, we're a sensitive bunch, us human beings. I think when you study the real estate marketplace, you're not only studying bricks and mortar, you are without question studying what people often think about property. Yes, the emotions of real estate. And as we say, becoming a great property investor is as much about the concept of understanding psychology as it is about the actual investment decisions we make. I tell you what, we're exposed to all sorts of things inside the real estate marketplace. People react and behave in all sorts of ways. And I'm here today to give you my study of different human beings and how they interface with the real estate marketplace whether they're gamblers, whether they're investors or speculators, today's show is really about unlocking some of the dynamics around how people interface with the real estate economy. And of course, I'm a big believer in real estate can make people wealthy, but equally, I've met so many loose cannons over the years that really should not be part of the real estate marketplace. Yes, People can become wealthy out of property, but equally as so, many people should really just steer clear of the property market because they are a danger to themselves. Probably what is a better approach to their retirement is putting some money into their super and just chipping away at success. Hey, today's show is brought to you in the middle of winter. I am freezing. Uh, Today, I think I need to wear... Uh, clothing on my head. Yes, I need to wear beanies, hats. Um, I am constantly cold. Being a bald male species is not a good thing in winter. Yes, if you are not bald, your hair keeps you warm. If you are bald, you know where I'm coming from. You are another brother. And uh, you probably, like me, need to have things constantly on your head. I was just outside before and it was blowing a gale. I wish I had a little hat on. But anyway, I'm back inside. Uh, if it's your first time tuning in to the Urban Property Investor, welcome to the podcast. All of the podcasts are lessons in one way, shape or form. So feel free to uh, go back 50 episodes if that's what you want. Start from the beginning. Why not? Uh, If you like leaving reviews, I'm a review junkie as well, so feel free to 
leave a few kind words if you do like the show. Remember to play the show in 1.5 or 2 speed so you can accelerate uh, the conversation we're going to have today. So just to preframe really where we are right now with this episode, we're going to go through some of the dialogue and language that is often uh, associated with real estate and some of the things that tend to come up when uh, we look at the behaviors of people who own real estate. Now, I'm going to go through a list of behaviors which fundamentally affect real estate, affect the people that own that real estate. And quite often, I guess, this idea that, um, you know, you just buy real estate and, uh, well, you know, leave it alone, come back in 20 or 30 years is good in practice or good in principle, but very difficult in practice. And I often teach people this, hey, look, it's you've bought the property, go do something else with your life now. But a lot of people, obviously, um, you know, are connected to the real estate. They have to pay the bills every month. So there's a lot of different psychology and motivations that happen inside of property. And of course, we have our own emotional well-being, our own mental health, and relationships along the way of owning real estate. Hence why real estate is uh, a great asset class because it is nice and slow. But I often say this, real estate is reliable, people are not reliable. And it's that conversation piece today around people not being reliable where I want to crack the code. So we're going to start with the first one. And uh, the first human behavior, which I often see inside the real estate marketplace is what I would call misaligned motivation. Uh, This is where we often use the phrase goals gone wild. Yes, and I think what misaligned motivation inside the real estate uh, marketplace is often, where it's often seen most, is when real estate starts to go backwards, when it starts to drop in value, and obviously real estate doesn't always just go up in value, it also goes down in value. Hopefully it goes up more in value than it does go down in value, Uh, over the longer term, that has been the case in Australian property. But without question, when real estate goes backwards in value, there is this misalignment of goals. And this is really uh, one of the big behaviors that rattles people. A lot of people buy real estate with this kind of homeowner expectation that real estate is always going to go up. And when it struggles to go up, Uh, people's behavior starts to change. And one of the big things I often see inside that behavior is people start to let their real estate decay in value. They don't spend money on maintenance. They don't spend money on renovation. They don't actually look after their asset. This is one of the biggest behaviors I see in real estate, which causes people to lose a bucket load of money. Uh, particularly when people buy an investment property. They buy an investment property and for all intensive purposes, uh, using every piece of logic in their mind, they've made a great decision. And then when that decision does not instantly gratify wealth, all of a sudden these 
misaligned goals start to really mess with people's mindset. And as a direct correlation of that, they stop uh, the repairs and maintenance costs on assets. And we often see this with much older property. When people buy older property and they have this goal for huge amounts of capital growth and it doesn't happen, uh, all of a sudden that extra money to make the property great, which should be injected into the asset, actually doesn't get injected because of the misaligned goals, right? And again, this really does mean a lot of people end up in a financial heart aching situation because, um, you know, they have this goal set in their mind that they buy the property and it goes up in value. And then at the first obstacle, what they do instead of fixing the problem, they hide from the problem and they don't spend the money to, to make the property better and more appealing and more attractive. And of course, this misaligned goal really does send people on a spiral out of control. I've seen properties which could have been solved uh, and start to grow in the marketplace if someone just did a $25,000 renovation. And because of the lack of market growth, uh, by injecting deal growth through money, you the investor could have redefined their situation. But what instead happens is a lot of people shirk that because they don't get market growth and because their goals are misaligned, they do not see the value of putting um, what one would argue good money after bad and then all of a sudden their real estate really goes down in value. Remember, there's four types of growth, deal growth, location growth, market growth, and behavioral growth in real estate. And of course, um, one of the big things if the market is growing and your property isn't, is probably you need to look at the deal. Uh, The second kind of behavior I see inside the real estate marketplace is without question, a monkey see, monkey do behavior. And I often see this really with the way people approach owning real estate as homeowners. Yeah, Australians end up pretty poor in retirement. Um, By even world standards, the standard of living for pensioners in Australia is not great. And there really is this idea that if you just buy a property, there is no risk uh, that um, particularly your parents or uh, their parents bought real estate and really as home buyers created this kind of idea of wealth. And what we do know from really the statistics and also the income profile of pensioners is one asset is not enough. And so for me, one of the behaviors I see time and time again inside the real estate marketplace is this monkey see, monkey do behavior of people just going, well, uh, I'm just going to pay off my family home and that's my wealth creation strategy. And of course, in retirement, they get to this place where they're asset rich with one asset, which arguably is not being asset rich and cash poor. Hey, the next one for me, uh, behavior, which I often see in the real estate marketplace, which certainly irks me, 
and has harmful consequences is over optimism. And I often refer to this person as a bit of a fireball. Uh, I guess people um, often think that they can see the future and they are capable of predictions when it comes to sort of capital growth. And I often see the harmful consequences of this when people realize that real estate is a long-term sport as opposed to a very quick return. There is no uh, immediate gratification in the real estate marketplace. So yes, we can make fifty, a hundred thousand dollars quite quickly out of real estate. We can add value to real estate. We can catch a wave of capital growth. But over the longer term, um, I think we need to almost like know um, our behaviors. And certainly, I, I think sometimes a lot of people inside the real estate marketplace have this kind of over optimism when they approach buying real estate and then they get this kind of um, almost like, uh, I guess, realization that real estate is actually a long-term sport, not um, an over optimistic uh, doubling in value in two to three years period. So you often see this over optimism, I think, today in almost like the crypto marketplace um, I certainly see, you know, on things like Instagram and TikTok, just how many people are optimistically constantly talking about this kind of stuff. And one would argue, um, wouldn't it just be better to buy some crypto and go to learn to play golf and leave it alone, right? But it's this, uh, it's this kind of behavior which really does almost like fuel someone's um, you know, personality type. And I've seen um, what I call fireballs come into the real estate marketplace. They want to own, you know, five properties in five minutes and they are, a, you know, quite often what I call a bit of a danger to themselves because they're so optimistic that they kind of quite often leave a lot of valuable information on the table where they don't assess real estate um, as well as they should. Probably uh, the next behavior is what I would call the momentum effect. Um, and the momentum effect is an interesting one because um, a lot of people uh, fundamentally jump into the real estate market. Sometimes we call this kind of like FOMO, fear of missing out, the momentum effect. So a lot of people will, you know, um, get fueled by the momentum effect. Uh, in other words, other people are jumping into the market. The momentum of the market's racing up in value. So uh, all of a sudden, their behavior is, I've got to catch the momentum. I've got to be part of the momentum. And the momentum effect um, has, has certainly fueled many marketplaces. And I think uh, what's so interesting watching the momentum effect is so many people come out of the woodwork to become property investors when the market is is rising in value. And really, the argument is where were you when the market was stagnant or soft or at the bottom? Obviously, Warren Buffett has that kind of old um, saying, which is, you know, show fear when others show courage, show courage when others show fear. And certainly, um, 
the best time to buy is when in real estate is when you've got a lot of choice. And uh, uh, certainly the momentum effect right now is seeing a rises in value. We are seeing the momentum effect, for example, of people experience tree change. And now the momentum effect is re-change. Like people are already sick of the tree change and we're now hearing language around re-change, which is so interesting, right? So uh, I guess the momentum effect leads us to another behavior, which is herd behavior. Um, and the herd behavior is the dynamic that uh, the illusion is not everybody can be wrong, right? So everyone's investing in the real estate marketplace right now. So the safety of the human behavior is the herd is moving at once. Not everyone could be wrong. Um, and so I should buy real estate as well. Again, like right now, I think we are going through a rising marketplace and the herd is moving. Um, again, if you could have bought at the bottom of the market, that was a better time to buy. Uh, now you're running with the herd. You're running with the pack and uh, it is what it is, right? But the behavior is there. And so, again, today's show is really about understanding some of the different behaviors which influence the real estate marketplace, which influence, uh, influence us as property investors. I know I'm influenced right now by uh, certainly some growth in the market. I feel the herd pressure. I really want to buy another property. Um, I'm doing everything like I can to beat the rush. Because what we do know about real estate is once it starts to move and once the yields start to disappear, it becomes harder and harder to buy in those A-grade locations. So lots of different behaviors, right? And uh, I find this stuff really interesting. I've been studying this stuff literally now for a very long time, trying to conquer this thing called real estate. The next behavior, which is very common in real estate, is irrational exuberance irrational exuberance. Uh, it's a social phenomenon um, where fundamentally a market reaches a high and is completely unsustainable. And uh, people, though, are ultra excited by the past performance of the marketplace. And we will reach this point in uh, definitely maybe a year or two years where um, a lot of people are going to be like coming to the laggards are going to be coming to the market very late and they are going to be excited by what they've read, um, what's happened to other people and certainly um, start to pay a lot for real estate. And this is where I think a good coach comes in to temper a property investor or a good buyer's agent. You know, um, again, anyone can help you um, find real estate or you can be sold real estate, which uh, has certainly passed its peak. And I certainly don't like up buying other people's capital growth. I don't mind buying real estate that has grown in the past in value, but I don't want to do that off the back of a boom. I want to do that off the back of a low. And this irrational exuberance is, again, it's fueled by this excitement. And I think you often see this in crypto. Crypto, you know, um, rises sharply in value. There's ex ex exuberance to um, 
that you've got this fear of missing out and then all of a sudden, you know, you're underway um, buying something which is way overpriced. In real estate, um, one of the best ways to value real estate, in my opinion, is off the yield uh, methodology of valuation. And so when I look at real estate, I often throw three forms of valuation at it, a cap rate or a yield valuation, the cost to build um, or a summation cost to value the asset and also a direct comparison. Again, when one is not working, all of a sudden I kind of know there's something out of whack and anyone who's going to buy that asset is really following some exuberance that they are so excited by it that they have to have it and then all that happens is they end up paying way too much for a property. And uh, I certainly have been someone who's paid way too much for a property in the past. My first property I bought, I paid way too much for it. It was an expensive lesson. I saved a bucket load of money to get into my first property. Um, I was excited. The market was really past its prime. Um, I had seen huge amounts of capital growth come into the real estate marketplace. And uh, for me, I just needed to have that property. I thought really um, that, uh, you know, I was, you know, some, some, you know, in some respects, um, going to be successful of buying the asset. I had convinced myself that, um, you know, uh, it was still okay to buy. And of course, I bought the property. Um, and as soon as literally I bought it, within six months, the market turned and uh, started to sort of obviously decline in value as markets do. So I let some sort of feeling I had for the property really dictate my um, approach to buying. When you think about how silly that actually is, that I used a feeling to buy as opposed to due diligence, research, um, you know, understanding yields, understanding infrastructure, understanding uh, all the dynamics of real estate, the supply chain. Uh, I used a feeling. A feeling was I am literally, I've got to get this done before it's too late, right? Emotional exuberance. I guess uh, the next behavior I often see inside the real estate marketplace is the money illusion. Money illusion one blows my mind. Um, And this is one where I think, again, a lot of people who perhaps, um, I don't know what they did at school. Did they do mathematics? Uh, I don't know. I I can't work this one out. Um, I know a lot of people have other skills in many other places, but the money illusion is the tendency to think of money in normal terms uh, rather than in real terms, right? And I guess, um, you know, the best example of that is, You'll often speak to property investors who become very dismayed with real estate because when the day they bought a property, they had, I don't know, a 5% re- return. Uh, but the day they bought the property, they also uh, had a home loan of 5%. Then over, you meet them sort of two or three years later and you know their 5% return is now a 4.5% return. And they feel absolutely ridiculously gutted by the asset that they bought. They've got this illusion that, um, you know, uh, that there's this kind of unjust problem that's occurred to them. 
What they don't factor in is the interest rate is no longer 5%. The interest rate is now 3%. And so they are better off uh, fundamentally with a lower yield, but also a much lower interest rate. And actually in dollar terms, in that example, they're like 1.5% better off in actual real terms. And I find the money illusion is something which really a lot of property investors uh, start to struggle with and then self-analyze real estate and then start to self-harm themselves out of owning real estate for a long period of time. And again, um, you know, we can see the illusion of money in wage growth versus uh, worth versus inflation. Um, all of a sudden today there is an illusion, in my view, that any tenant is going to be a good tenant. Um, that is a money illusion. That is not a real, uh, uh, actual, uh, real term to me because certain people in society are just going to absolutely outstrip others when it comes to wage increases. So there is a, a tendency for people to have this illusion around money, which certainly creates, um, in my view, a very strange behavior inside the real estate economy. And again, I think it's just a skill set thing where people kind of don't understand perhaps what's going on. I guess my little tip is just, you know, the Reserve Bank of Australia meets first Tuesday of every month um, and just get in the habit of like understanding, I guess, where money is being set so you can actually, um, uh, you know, uh, not think of money in like nominal terms, but rather in real terms. Like today, the cash rate is a tenth of 1%. If you're getting 4.5% rental return, that is absolutely incredible. Uh, would it be better if it was 5%? Yes. Would it be better if it was 6 or 7 or 8%? Of course it would. But we have to understand that um, as a property investor, we can often paint a strange behavior of these illusions inside our mindset, which again, just throws us off course in some respect. And uh, again, money illusions happen in all sorts of things. Um, I know certainly with, for example, the Royal Commission, um, APRA putting speed limits on lending, the dry up of liquidity over, say, 2016, 17 and 18 certainly created a lot of money illusions where people were like, well, um, you know, why is my real estate not going up? Well, money is stuck. In real terms, money is stuck because uh, the Central Bank of Australia, uh, APRA, everyone's clamped down on liquidity. So in real terms, money is not moving. Uh, in nominal terms, though, people were thinking, well, I still deserve capital growth. Doesn't really work that way. That is why we have a thing called macro and microeconomics. I guess uh, the next behavior which I often see inside the real estate marketplace is, is what I would refer to as regret theory. Yes, regret theory. Uh, regret theory is the anticipated regret of making the wrong decision. Um, and again, a lot of people sort of suffer this kind of analysis paralysis dynamic as a behavior inside the real estate marketplace. Um, and 
basically regret theory really um, fundamentally stops people from actually taking action. And I guess the counter argument to not taking action is almost like uh, there is some sort of harm a lot of the time in real estate by not taking um, really good action, obviously diligent action. So um, I guess, you know, a lot of people, uh, particularly analytical people, suffer from regret theory. I know I personally um, work with an awesome dude um, and for five years, he and he's an analyst. He's uh, he's basically um, a really good analyst, but he's a really good analyst for other people. And in his own world, um, he spent five years watching the 2013 to 2017 uh, Sydney property boom going off, and basically could not find a time where he felt uh, really comfortable not overpaying for real estate and of course um, the regret now and the regret theory for him is he missed the entire property boom basically with analysis paralysis and again I think a lot of people suffer this uh, concept of regret theory they don't want um, to uh, you know basically um, you know put themselves in a position where um, they are making the wrong decision. And as a property investor, you have to be a decision maker. You have to stand by your decisions, um, even the bad ones, and you've got to work your way through the bad decisions. Um, You can't just throw up your hands. Again, there is a lot of illusions out there with the real estate marketplace and people often think the point that they buy the property will double in value. Well, what if it's already gone up 30% uh, potentially for your asset to double in value? It will perform by 70%. Again, regret theory is is something I see a lot of and particularly fence sitters, you know, they um, uh, are non-risk takers and as such, you know, quite often I think you will find the non-risk taker is someone who's going to be sidelined inside economics in Australia. Australia is a capitalist country, and as such, we need to get our capital into the marketplace. Um, You know, certainly coronavirus has taught us anyone who owns assets is seeing asset values absolutely skyrocket in value to the point where, again, that regret of not taking action really does unfold for a lot of people and they start to um, certainly sideline themselves out of the real estate marketplace because they miss so many times of buying. So um, the best way to overcome, you know, regretting missing opportunity in the real estate marketplace is the fact that Australia has multiple marketplaces. It's not one big marketplace. Sydney, performs differently to Perth, performs differently to Melbourne and uh, Brisbane and so forth. And it does allow property investors to diversify and have money in multiple marketplaces. And certainly if we miss the boat in one market, uh, we can certainly jump into another and fuel our way to property success. The next uh, behavior, there's a lot of behaviors, isn't there? My God, um, I'm, uh, you know, uh, blown away by how many behaviors there are in the real estate marketplace. 
Next one is what I would refer to as mental accounting. And this is an interesting one to me again. Uh, I often coach a lot of people and the way they account for things is, uh, is yeah, it's this kind of decompartmentalization in their mind. It's just a human behavior that people do. It's often also referred to as two-pocket theory where actually, um, you know, people, uh, you know, treat money differently. Okay, have two pockets, some money in one pocket, some money in the other pocket, one's for spending, one's for saving. This is kind of the two-pocket theory. You see this quite often when you're coaching people. They'll have massive credit card debt. They'll have cars that they do not need and they have huge lease terms on. And then they have a money jar with like, you know, $20,000 in it. And you're like... um, you sort of like have this kind of mental accounting where, uh, you know, the human being is is rationalizing that one is actually a completely different money source than the other. And of course, the argument is if you can just overcome this mental accounting disability that all of us actually have uh, and stop separating things, you can start to deal with real wealth challenges. You can rip up the credit card. You can get rid of the lease term. And then all of a sudden, your real money jar will appear. And that real money jar is then your seed capital for investing. Again, people put money into separate categories. And sometimes, obviously, this is helpful. But certainly, on other occasions, it can be quite harmful. And so, uh, creating mental accounts around money. Um, you know, it's just what people do. Um, they'll have money. Oh, I can't touch that money. It's uh, it's mentally accounted for for uh, you know for a certain thing, and then investments just go by the wayside because of the mentally accounting of money. And again, when you start to sort of think of money in uh, in something that is there to provide more money. Um, sometimes you start to overcome your mental accounting bias around the way you approach looking after money. After all, money is sort of something that most of us, if we get our hands on it, the only purpose of money is to go and multiply and make more money. Uh, Yet, a lot of people have this mental accounting kind of scotoma where um, they have a large amount of money but they'll only put a certain amount into certain things. It's kind of this mental accounting process. Uh, And again, look, some of that can be helpful. Some of it can be a hindrance. I'm just here to tell you about the different behaviors, which certainly unfold inside the real estate economy. And as such, you often see, um, you know, uh, real estate affected by these kind of behaviors, right? And particularly in that situation, mental accounting, often see finance affected by the way people mentally account for things. I guess uh, the next behavior is loss aversion. Um, And again, um, I think you will find that people uh, obviously buy real estate because they want to gain and they are reluctant to make a loss on real estate. 
And this is probably one of the best things about the behaviors inside real estate. I know last week I took a $3,000 loss on some shares and that is considered very normal in real estate, uh, in the share market rather. Um, Again, inside of real estate, loss aversion is something which really does actually make real estate a very long-term investment vehicle. Because people are leveraged in real estate, also their losses quite often are leveraged, right? So people will save $50,000 to get into the marketplace. They then can borrow, um, you know, $500,000 from the bank or all up to buy a property. Then their asset comes back $50,000. All of a sudden, the loss aversion behavior of real estate um, owners and investors kicks in. People are prepared usually to wait the long game in real estate. So quite often, um, you know, people won't take the loss like they do in other asset classes, such as, I don't know, Bitcoin or whatever it is. People will certainly, um, you know, duck out of those asset classes a lot quicker. And really is the liquidity of real estate. Um, One of the things with the losses inside real estate is uh, people seldomly, you know, accept them and, uh, you know, um, move their real estate at a loss. And so um, even though like statistics tell us that a lot of investors only last in the real estate market for less than six years and anyone who owns real estate or less than six years is going to lose money. Um, you don't get this kind of rapid behavior like you do in the stock market, where uh, I guess the old saying is the um, stock market takes the stairs up and also takes the elevator down. You just don't get this loss aversion um, behavior inside the real estate marketplace. The next behavior I often see inside real estate is what I would call home bias. Um, a lot of real estate investors, uh, you know, educated that houses will outperform anything else in the marketplace and will do anything to buy a house. And it's certainly, I guess, proven that, um, you know, there is growth in all asset classes and there is growth amongst, um, you know, certain types of uh, locations and behaviors in the real estate marketplace. And I think um, quite often home bias actually pushes people into what I would call blunder real estate assets. They are not high returning. Um, the rents are very, very circumspect as to whether the type of person who would live in that home could ever pay more rent. Um, as we know right now, uh, there is rental stress in the economy. And so quite often um, home bias actually, in my view, is something which I see a lot of. I meet a lot of people and they're like, oh, no, I need to buy a house. Houses only go up in value. Um, very true in some respects, but also um, very harmful in other respects. In other words, the right location, um, the right growing economy, the right um, area where you're going to get rental growth you know, great idea having a home bias about buying a home. But certainly there are absolute areas you would just avoid 
um, to the cows come home when it comes to buying a house. And in some of those precincts, literally, we are, you know, um, you know, miles from anywhere. And of course, uh, that home bias to, to buy that asset is quite often something I see which actually um, harms a lot of property investors in, instead of helps them. Alternatively, if that home bias wasn't built into the behavior of the person, they might have been able to look at a, you know, a really chic boutique townhouse in a much better location, which got um, or gets a much better caliber of tenant and actually gets a much uh, higher rate of rental growth um, or, uh, you know, or even capital growth, right? So again, this idea that we come to this market, uh, this crazy thing called real estate with some behaviors, these are really common behaviors that I often see inside the real estate marketplace. Next behavior I see all the time is what I call a boom bias. Uh, you quite often meet people who caught a boom in real estate. They made money pretty quickly in real estate. Um, they saw assets, you know, go up. They made $100,000 in 12 months. And they quite often think that um, that boom is representation of the entire period they're going to own real estate. And of course, um, when they buy another asset, they often don't uh, realize that, um, yeah, booms come and go and you're going to catch a boom the longer you own real estate. But for the most part of the property clock journey, you're actually going through a pretty, um, you know, inflationary style level of capital growth. Because you're going through a pretty um, slow and normal rise in value, uh, quite often, boom bias often means people get really disgruntled quite quickly if they bought real estate and only ever made money in a boom. And of course, uh, quite often boom bias just means that anyone jumps into any asset. And of course, I teach the 4X growth plan. There's four types of growth. Deal growth, you make money by buying well. Location growth, you make money by choosing a really good location. Market growth, you understand where the market is in its cycle and you make money that way. Then behavioral growth, which is really the idea that you want some external influences on your real estate, whether the real estate's walkable, sustainable, it has technology, it's got a great third place. These are all the elements which make up the real estate uh, dynamic, right? So again, boom, uh, boom theory uh, or boom bias is really uh, for a certain sector of the community which got lucky in their first boom but um, struggles to get lucky in their second boom really gets out of real estate because they're impatient because they kind of had, um, you know, this false representation of what real estate is the day they first got involved in real estate. It's interesting, right? It's uh, all the different behaviors I find are just so fascinating. The next behavior, which is really common, is the speculator. Gambler's theory, right? And obviously, you know, I could ask the question, are you an investor or are you a speculator, right? I think, um, you know, interesting watching um, some of the ups and downs of things like crypto, you know, people looking at crypto three times a day are not uh, investors, they're gamblers, right? They're absolutely um, being addicted to the ups and downs of that, um, that dynamic, 
again, why not just buy the stuff and never look at it again, right? Uh, it's uh, it's it's gambling as opposed to necessarily or speculating as opposed to long term investing, right? And again, even in real estate, um, I often see this kind of gambler theory, the speculator. They all, uh, they buy real estate and really month by month, they are um, fundamentally looking for this vanity matrix where they uh, can feel good about their gamble by seeing, you know, a change in valuation or, uh, you know, a change in result. They're hungry to see the result and one would argue, you know, yes, it's great to look in your real estate maybe every six months, maybe every 12 months. Real estate is slow. It takes a bit of time for data to come through. But looking at it once a week or once a fortnight and then starting to create comments around it, to me, is uh, a behavior almost of an addictive gambler as opposed to a property investor. I guess the next bias and behavior I often see is what I would call gut instinct bias. Trust your gut. Um, Obviously, um, you know, some people are very good at um, trusting their gut and creating instincts around it. However, our gut instincts and the reality of money can be quite often far apart. Um, For example, I had a gut instinct um, the other week inside the share market to pick up some copper um, shares. Um, In other words, the, you know, the metal, precious metal copper. Uh, It's a bit of a hunch and uh, it was a shithouse hunch. Nothing happened. Um, so for many property investors, the same thing kind of happens. Oh, I've got a hunch this market's going to do well. I've got a hunch, uh, I should buy, um, you know, uh, this type of property hunches are great, but I tell you what, wouldn't it be better just to get access to quality data? Um, I know personally I spend around $150,000 a year to make data decisions around real estate. I do that obviously through my business. I've access to things like Cordell's, which tells me where DAs are being lodged. Um, I have things like Residex. I have access to, um, you know, smart reports from, uh, you know, economists. I have access to planning reports through Urbis. Again, a hunch is great and hunch bias, um, you know, makes people feel good. But, the reality is, I think, um, particularly with where the real estate is today, that behavior is a little bit archaic. You don't really need to make hunches about real estate anymore. You can buy data. And as such, I think, um, you know, you can get a quality outcome from real estate by understanding what does supply look like in the neighborhood? How much supply is approved over the next three years? What kind of infrastructure is being approved in the neighborhood? Uh, what type of prices are being set in the neighborhood? What was the most expensive property ever sold in the neighborhood? How much green space is in a neighborhood? What is the livability score of the neighborhood? What is the walk score of the neighborhood? All of these things are a data-led science to property success. Hunches um, is just, you know, to me, that's kind of like, you know, uh, listening to you made at a barbecue, right? You know, you never know what um, he's actually saying and, you know, acting on those hunches, um, you know, it's a it's a bit of a, uh, you know, it's not an exact science. Hen- hence why um, it is known as gut instinct or a gut instinct behavior. 
The next behavior is availability bias. Yes, uh, human beings tend to have uh, a thing for this, uh, I guess, you know, uh, what they have available to them is how they make the decision. Now, think about what I just said about the concept of buying data and Cordell's and how many DAs, um, you know, uh, in the pipeline. Uh, what I have available uh, compared to what a normal person buying real estate has available is two different worlds. So again, a lot of people make their decisions in real estate around fundamentally availability bias. And probably the biggest availability bias is how much you can borrow. Um, And again, like there are literally 200 different lenders of money in Australia. Uh, And again, a lot of people will go to the bank they know, uh, they get one opinion, that bank will say, you know, you can buy a property for $600,000. Uh, that's an availability bias. Um, perhaps another lender would say, you know, you can buy two properties or you can, you know, spend up to a million dollars if you buy this way. And of course, what happens is a lot of property investors get boxed in because they actually create an availability bias by really not having great connections in the real estate marketplace to help them through um, this thing called real estate. I also think availability bias is often seen where people tend to want to buy in their backyard. They know that street. Um, they know basically where they grew up. And they create, oh, well, I know that area. Um, it's an availability bias, so I buy there. But what if that area is like the worst possible time in the cycle to buy there? Just because you're available to that area and you know it doesn't make it a great property investment area. In fact, many people never go on to be multiple property owners and build a pretty successful portfolio because one of their first deals they buy is driven by this behavior of availability buyers. I'm seeing it in Sydney at the moment. I speak to a lot of investors and they want to buy um, a behavior of, you know, really southwestern Sydney where the yields are like two and a half percent and it's what they know it's what they've been educated it's the clickbait they're being served it's what their friends and family know and again um, one of the challenges as a coach I've got to go well your availability bias is is just not big enough because what you're seeing is very narrow focus you're only working off uh, what you know, and you're not expanding your thought process to other ideas. And of course, that is one of the challenges of being a coach is overcoming people's availability uh, bias, which uh, again is uh, is uh, one of the things that you know is often referred to as confirmation bias. Um, again, we've got these sort of pre-existing beliefs in our mindset, and it starts to clash with opposing beliefs. Now, I think um, in any form of uh, life, you need to be open to other viewpoints or opinions. That really does help you become a master at different viewpoints. And of course, in real estate, allows you to open your logic up to different ideas. I guess uh, the next bias that I often see is known as anchoring. 
Um, anchoring is, I guess, this idea that we, just like the word anchor, uh, dig our heels in around a cognitive bias where we really are making decisions based on a limited piece of information. And again, I think, um, you know, a lot of people get themselves in this position when it comes to property. They anchor that they have to buy in, uh, uh, you know, their local marketplace. Um, why? Because they'll create an anchor in their behavior that, uh, you know, properties are very hard to manage. So that's their anchor. And they've thrown in this anchor and it's, you know, it's hit the sand and, and that now they, they literally need to be rewired to overcome the fact that um, that's not true, right? I remember I had an anchor that the first property I bought was I wanted it to be close to my mum. And uh, I created this mental anchor. I was like, oh, look, um, I always want to be able to look after my mum. Um, I'm going to buy an investment near where my mum lives. And I created this anchor and I bought this property. Again, I was influenced by the market. The market was racing up in value. So I created a behavior of, um, you know, I needed to get into the marketplace. I was excited to do it. I ended up paying way too much for the property to create an anchor that I had a property close to my mum. Once I owned that property, uh, I literally never went to see it. I saw it the day I settled um, and, you know, within a couple of, uh, da- like two weeks of owning it, I never went to see it. Never went to see it. Um, and for me, I literally lived, you know, 20 minutes from my mum and, uh, you know, I still went and saw my mum. So all of a sudden I realized the anchor of owning an asset close to my mum really was just a strange belief that I had created. Um, I didn't need that. I could um, live anywhere and and pop in and see my mum, right? Again, these kind of like weird anchors uh, start to behave uh, change the behaviors of us as property investors. So you might have an anchor and, uh, you know, you've just got to work out what that anchor is and if it's actually uh, an illusion of actually making money. Certainly for me, the anchor of buying close to my mum had no monetary value to it. It was just um, a nice feeling I created in my mindset, right? Again, today's show is about understanding all these different behaviors that influence us as property investors. Um, The reality is human beings are fucked up. We're all a bit fucked up. We're all a bit messed up. And uh, the more we can uncover, you know, some of the things which are real and some of the things that are just weird human being stuff, um, we can start to um, certainly be uh, better property investors. I think the next one, which is a bias which I see a lot of is the social status bias. Obviously, we're under a lot of pressure in our lives to keep up with the rat race, to keep up with the Joneses, to live this perfect life. Um, you know, we need the, the right car, we need the right house, we need the right wife, the right dog. All of this kind of stuff is, um, is this sort of thing that we play called social status. I know where I'm from in Sydney, uh, when people meet you, they first thing they do is sum you up. And uh, what they do is they go, uh, uh, where do you live? And 
it's it's not a question about um, them wanting to come over for a beer at my house. It's a social status question. Where do you live? What is your social status? In Melbourne, the social status stems out of the schooling system. People will ask you in Melbourne, what school did you go to? They don't care if you learned English or maths. They're asking you what your social status is. And uh, certainly one of the behaviors of real estate is social status. And uh, the good and bad bits of that is sometimes by finding a great property market, which uh, is going to improve its social status, you're going to get capital growth from the location improving in value. Some of the challenging things with that, of course, is people buying real estate for the wrong reasons in the wrong location just to keep up with this kind of social status effect. And, uh, you know, I see this a lot that people, uh, you know, quite often feel a bit ashamed as renters and they need to get into the marketplace, but then they almost like jump into a marketplace they can't afford just to jump into social status. And I see this in the homeowner market a lot that people, you know, um, you know, need to sort of almost like uh, feel confident in their personality by making sure where they buy is actually socially acceptable. And, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly seen, you know, um, many people close to me bite off more than they can chew and actually, uh, you know, spend 10 years dithering with real estate when they could have just um, lowered their social status as to where they live and become a great property investor on the side, right? So it's an interesting one, the behavior of social status. Uh, I think you could do a whole lecture on that one just, uh, you know, for uh, for a good hour as well. I guess uh, the next behavior certainly that influences uh people in real estate is certainly the command economy. And the command economy is at work at the moment. The command, econo- uh, the command economy uh, basically influences the behavior of real estate by uh, injecting policies into the real estate market, which changes behavior. Uh, in 2016-17, we had the command-led economy change the behavior of real estate by drying up liquidity, by making it very hard for investors to get loans. Today, the command-led economy is also influencing real estate with policies and decisions influencing, for example, um, first homeowner grants and building boost grants. And what I find quite fascinating is the response of people to the command-led economy is quite often fascinating from a behavioral observation. For example, over the last year, really, we've seen an absolute um, robust amount of millennials jump into the real estate marketplace to take advantage of free grants and also stimulus from things like building boosts to jump into the marketplace. And one could argue um, you know, a lot of people in Australia needed that extra thirty or forty thousand dollars boost to get into the marketplace because they were never going to save their way there. Again, um, this kind of behavior of the command-led economy almost um, can stop the herd or create a herd. 
And I think what you would agree you've seen over the last sort of certainly 12 months is the government creating this herd mentality where all of a sudden um, the grants and stimuluses are so good that the herd comes um, knocking on the door to certainly grab their piece of the great Australian dream. The argument, of course, is are many of the millennials just cannon fodder to a large amount of debt um, when it comes to uh, certainly where they're uh, being positioned to buy? Are they actually bait to kickstart the economy? Um, Obviously, um, I'll let you be the judge of that. Certainly, many investors um, and first-home buyers have bought great properties in great areas. And I equally think many first-home buyers are probably going to wake up with a bit of a command-led economy hangover from buying in the wrong part of town. And certainly, um, though they've acquired the asset, perhaps when they look at the rental return of what they just bought and the lifestyle of where they just bought within, they may actually start to second-guess that behavior of the herd mentality as a result of the command-led economy. Hey, that's it from me today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Urban Property Investor. Feel free to leave me a a review. Today, of course, the show was about uh, the behavioral logic of human beings and real estate. I hope you learned something today. I'm off. Take care. I'll catch you soon on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.